0: What actually makes property prices go up? Interest rates? And where does inflation fit into the picture? My name is Dan. Welcome to the Passive Income Doctor podcast. Just a reminder, this podcast is for entertainment purposes. Nothing here is financial advice. Please speak to your trusted professional advisors. Views expressed by podcast participants are solely their own. In today's part two of the property series, We talk about the nine drivers of house prices. What makes the house prices go up? Is it just interest rates or is there anything else? Number one, let's talk about interest rates. So when the cost of money goes up, less people wanting to borrow. And this means that there's less demand for property, especially so in the more expensive markets of Sydney and Melbourne. And we could see that even in recent times, these markets have taken a particular hammering with the st- one of the steepest interest rate increases in history. Conversely, when interest rates decrease, often the demand for borrowing goes up and more people pursuing a limited number of goods means house prices go up, which leads me to factor number two demand and supply. One thing to note is that really desirable suburbs are often very tightly held. So there's a lot of demand and not much supply. And often this keeps prices quite elevated. And if there's no distress selling, then people, when there's a down market, vendors will just hold out and wait for the market to recover if they don't see a particular reason to sell. Another factor in regards to demand and supply is immigration. And this tap, Australian government has the luxury of turning on and off because, especially Sydney and Melbourne, where lots of immigrants go first, Australia is seen as an attractive place to come. And basically, if there's a housing downturn, this is one lever the government, time and time again, has pulled to help support the property market. Another factor in regards to demand and supply is the amount of stock out there. You know, currently, you know, 2022, 2023, true, some prices have fallen, especially for the, what you could call grade B, grade C properties. However, the grade A properties, the really desirable ones, often they're still going over reserve price or quoted price, multiple offers, selling very early. One reason is there's just very, very little supply. And also with the recent times with COVID, where not much building has happened in terms of building approvals, but also construction with materials and trade shortages, the amount of housing being constructed has dropped off quite rapidly. Probably a topic for another discussion, but um, you know also contributing to the rental crisis. So with very very low supply and still reasonable demand, that is another factor that can push house prices up. Conversely though, which has happened um, um, before, especially the southeast Queensland market, where suddenly there was a high, high amount of supply hitting the market, Um, Gold Coast market is notorious when they have lots of high rises all being released at a time going into say a, a GFC, then house prices just collapse if there's so much supply available and not much demand. Factor number three would be the availability of credit. This is a big one. If people have access to credit, often they will use it. And we can see, especially kind of pre-2017, lots of people easily were able to accumulate, or more easily, I should say, accumulate high-value portfolio, large numbers of property, because back then, you know, didn't look at servicing as much, just more so if the deal stacks up. But post-2017 or so, APRA tightening the lending, high scrutiny of expenses and income and introduction of things such as a debt-to-income ratio has really kind of capped or made it much more difficult to build a large portfolio in a short period of time. So when APRA did tighten in 2017-2018, it led to quite a significant downturn in the housing market especially in the more expensive cities Sydney and Melbourne moving on to factor number 4 market sentiment if there is an expectation that there'll be further price falls often potential buyers will just hold off buying and just wait and if there's less active buyers meaning less demand again this could you know lead to further you know price falls and this can also cause quite a stagnant market and people might look out for the perfect property before they might act. On the other hand, if in a boom time, as we could see in about um, 2021, even when the market had risen so much, a lot of people still expected prices to continue going up and would try to purchase now. And if everyone had that same thought, they would just put more and more upward pressure now on the price again, kind of like a self-fulfilling profit. Factor number five would be unemployment. I guess I could lump into here kind of the economy and economic growth in general. I mean, this one is obvious, you know, if you don't have a job, then you can't get a mortgage. Um, Or if you have a mortgage and don't have enough buffers, maybe for selling. And if it's for selling at not a very opportune time, you may need to um, discount the sale price to kind of get a sale across the line. On the flip side though it can present interesting times for purchasing opportunities. Factor number six is gentrification. A suburb may have historically be seen as less desirable and it can suddenly become more desirable. I mean some examples in Sydney include you know Redfern, Newtown. Um, you know often you know the wealthier, or high income earners move in the you know so-called hipsters and you know, eventually, some of the lower socioeconomic status people, um, you know, can't afford to, to rent or buy, or maybe perhaps they don't want to stay because it's kind of changed, and then they might move out, and then that you know further potentiates the ability for a suburb to gentrify and change. Now, contrary to what a lot of people out there say, this can, usually can be more of a slow process, um, you know, years, decades rather than a short period of time. And um, it can be quite hard to pick. Factor number seven, rental yields. There's two things to consider here. So one would be if prices stay similar, but then the rents go up. Rising rents means a high rental yield, which can attract investors into the market. Um, On the flip side, if the property prices drop, but rents remain the same, Um, you know, eventually some investors may be lured back in um, with the prospect of high rental yield. However, I believe rental yield shouldn't be the only factor you look into. There's many other factors, um, you know, if a property has a very high rental yield, um, for example, some of the mining towns after um, house prices crash, if the house prices crash you know 80 percent obviously the rental yield will seem to look very attractive however you need to look under the surface and see the underlying drivers for why that's the case factor number eight legislation if there's more onerous rules for landlords such as the 2021 victorian rental law changes where for example they had some ban on rental bidding introduce um, you know higher rental or more, more onerous rental standards such as Um, you know, needing a gas compliance check every two years and also banning evictions without reason. So one of the appeals of property for investors is having some kind of degree of control over the asset. You know, it might be subdivision, it might be build a second story, it might be doing cosmetic renovations. These things to try and add value to the asset. Also as well, it's, you know, who you'd like to have living in the property, you know, unlike shares where, you know, unless you're a majority shareholder, you don't really have control over the, what the board or the CEO does. However, you know, if there are tenancy laws which heavily favor tenants, it, it can make landlords sell up and exit, which anecdotally has already been happening. And if some of the other states follow suit, um, you know, that, that could... Basically, if a landlord exits the property market and sells to an owner occupier then there's one less property in the rental pool and w- this would just further exacerbate a rental crisis. However obviously not everyone shares this belief but this is just what I believe. Another part of legislation um, in particular for Australian property investors is negative gearing. Look not many countries around the world have this. I think Australia, New Zealand, Japan, some of the other countries do but basically, you can offset expenses from property investing against other income. So for most investors, the interest bill is the highest expense and in many cases, the rental income is not enough to cover the interest. If there's um, kind of a cash flow loss but the government will kind of allow you to tack that off your income, so essentially you get a kind of like a refund at your marginal tax rate. For example, if you have a 10,000 cash flow negative per year and your marginal tax bracket is 37%, you'll get a tax refund of $3,700. So one thing to bear in mind is that you're still losing money um, and yeah, you can argue if you bought the wrong type of property in 10 years' time, if it hasn't gone and ended up, then you're basically losing cash flow year on year along with the other, you know, minor headaches with dealing with property maintenance etc you know you can argue wasn't really worth it on the other hand if it's doubled and in depending on which time periods sometimes even tripled then you can argue financially it is worth it so negative gearing by itself is not a reason to invest in property i know a lot of spruikers promote that so negative gearing is kind of like the government's way of subsidizing or incentivizing investors initially you know to help provide rental supply and once in the future becomes cash flow positive then the investors will be paying tax to the government. As the government over the decades has been selling off public housing stock and they basically rely on private investors to provide rental accommodation. So note 70% of Australia's housing supply is owner-occupier and this helps create stability in the market. You know, if there's only 30% investors, even if they're all sold up, you know, again, 70% own their own home and would be doing everything they can to hold on to the property. So if there's less for selling, it kind of puts a floor under the price. You know, with shares, if there's a sudden decrease in market sentiment, you know, everyone might want to get out all at the same time. You know, you can see wild drops, you know, 80%. You know, crypto is probably similar. But with uh, people living in their own home, you know, people will cut other costs in their life, holidays, eating out. um, You know, they might even get a second job just to hang on to pay the mortgage. Also, banks are not really interested in forced repossession. You know, their asset is the income stream from the mortgage. They want a steady income stream in the form of regular interest repayments. And they make very healthy um, profit margins for doing so. All right, number nine, inflation. Over time, money loses its value as we use a fiat currency. Also, the RBA stated goal is, you know, inflation in the 2 to 3% per annum band, um, which obviously at time of recording is much higher than that. But basically, let's assume we did get to 3% inflation. So if you had $100 at the start of the year, It's only worth $97 at the end of the year. Generally, property is a good hedge against inflation and keeps up with inflation, if not performed better than inflation. One interesting thought that I had the other day was that it's it's not so much the house becoming more valuable, but that it's the money becoming less valuable. You know, a house built um, or bought in 1970, rather, for $18,000, you know, now going for over a million dollars. The house back then was brand new and now the house is 50 years old. So, you know, one could argue the house is less valuable now. This is much older. Um, But, you know, on paper, it's worth so much more. Of course, I'm no economist, but from, you know, what I read and hear, you know, basically the experts prefer a small amount of inflation um, rather than risk deflation. So deflation is where, um, you know, Basically, people expect the goods to become cheaper tomorrow, so they just delay purchasing and delay purchasing, you know, waiting for prices to drop further, becoming a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy as well. And, you know, the economy would grind to a halt if nobody's buying goods and services today. So to summarize, there are so many factors affecting property prices. Today, I talked about nine. I'm sure there are many more. So, you know, when the media just talks about, you know, interest rates, interest rates rise, property drop, interest rates drop, property prices go up. It's much more complex than that. Um, So yeah, just bear that in mind and I hope you found this useful. Moving on to today's mindset minute. Today's mindset minute is from Kathy Fect. The bottom line, investing in real estate is smart because property is tangible. People always have and always will need shelter. This means it is very unlikely that a need for shelter, i.e. buying or renting homes, will ever go away. So I came across this one and, yeah, it's a good reminder that unlike other asset classes, property addresses a fundamental human need, one for shelter. True, there are times where, you know, speculation takes over, goes crazy, but ultimately land, especially well-located land, has an intrinsic value and, an, and a limited supply. Also as well, there's a demanding for the you know, physical buildings to live in. So it means property is tangible, it is seen by many as a stable asset class compared to some other asset classes. So remember, people always have and always will need shelter. Thanks for listening to today's show. Please take a moment now to hit the subscribe button and share the podcast because this will help others benefit also. So until next time, keep taking steps to improve your financial health.